You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. I'm a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker. Uh, On today's episode, we're joined by Jonathan Levy, who is the host of the Superhuman Academy podcast and also the author of a book that's coming out that's called The Only Skill That Matters. In fact, it will, it's coming out on the day it published, on the 2nd. Jonathan Levy is an expert in methodologies to read faster, remember more, and become a super learner. And that's the title, a subtitle of the book. We, this is a really good episode. This is has packed with usable information, things that you can practice and tinker around with, things to research, and Jonathan's clarity of how he talks about learning is really interesting. It's just spot on. And if you think about it, we don't really ever, I've never been taught how to learn, and so we have to teach ourselves. And Jonathan's story about how he did that and how he applied that and grew that into a greater understanding of entrepreneurship to do his own thing and to live the life that he wants to live um, is pretty cool, really fascinating. This episode is packed with information. So typically I would say to listen at 1.25 or 1.5 speed, but you don't really need to do that for this episode because it's packed. And uh, Jonathan does a really good job of explaining things really clearly in a way that's um, really understandable. We dig into the topic of figuring out what to learn. Like if you had the super ability to learn and retain and memorize a a ton of information, like what would you choose to study? What would you choose to be better at? And so he talks a little bit about what he's chosen to get really good at uh, because he can learn about it really quickly and then apply it to his life. It's a pretty awesome skill. And it's a topic of conversation that I think is really fascinating because if you could get better in one area of your life or two or four quickly, what would those areas be? What would you want to be good at? And where do you want to go? And as a coach for people, that's what I'm focused on solely is where do you want to go and what's the plan? And so, um, yeah, I really dug our conversation. Uh, If you want to check out what I do as a coach, go to seanmccormick.com and I do a free 15-minute intake coaching call. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about for 15 minutes and uh, you can book it right there. Um, so if that, if you're interested in that and you got something that's bugging you, like let's let's rap about it. And of course, we're going to link to the book in the show notes. Just, just down there. Just, just, you know, go down there and then click on it. Check out the book. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Levy. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. Jonathan Levy, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks for having and me, man. Back I'm glad you to be are. Back. Uh, you were episode seventy-six, I believe, back when uh, Ryan Muncie uh, was was doing these. And this 
information is evergreen. <laughs> this <laughs> learning, um, retention, speed reading, these are fundamental skills that are never going to go out of style and always be uh, applicable for people in their life. But before we dig into all of that good stuff, um, I asked everybody with the same first question. So if you would, would you please tell us what time it is where you are and what you have put into your body today? Ooh, wow. This is a really good question. Uh, so first it's eight, uh, eight Oh eight PM, which explains the not so fashionable orange glasses. And today you got me busted because for lunch I had a uh, sabich, which has pita. It's like pita bread with eggplant and, uh, and hard boiled egg. I normally try not to eat grains, but today uh, the chef didn't come. So I had to make do. And then I had four Sigmatic mushroom coffee for breakfast. For breakfast, I had three eggs with some omega-3 rich uh, chia seeds, uh, MCT oil in the coffee. I had two breakfast sausages and a ton of water. And right now we're doing an essential oils challenge in my private mastermind. So I've been, I don't know if you can see this, but I've been adding essential oils to my water. And this is a blend called uh, Passion because I wanted to be super passionate for this, uh, for this interview. So lots and lots of soda water. What is in, what oils are in the, the passion blend? That's a really, really great question. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I buy the blend, so I don't have to think about which ones they are, but I'm pretty sure this one has cinnamon, clove. Uh, let's see what else I can tell. Peppermint. Uh, and I think some citrus of some sort. Uh, it's probably either lime or lemon. Probably. We did, we did a podcast with Dr. Eric uh, Zielinski, and He wrote the book on um, essential oils, widely popular. Uh, I've got a diffuser here on my desk. So I'm, yeah. I'm diffusing some essential oils. I've got cedarwood and frankincense today. That's awesome. I just like, yeah, I'm different. I just like the other room as well. Uh, <laughs> really been enjoying. I'm learning from uh, Melina Harrison, who's also in Genius Network, and it's just been amazing to me how well this stuff works. Yeah, y yeah. Well, we could we could we could go on a tangent. We could start on a tangent uh, of essential oils, but <laughs> let's not. Um, do you take any supplements for memory enhancement, cognitive enhancement? So cognitive enhancement, uh, pretty much every day I'll take a pick of a different nootropic. Um, some days that will be Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. Some days that'll be Yerba Mate. Some days I will take uh, Anaracetam, Modafinil. Once in a while I'll take uh, Ritalin, which I, I keep a prescription to um, since I have ADD. And then many days I'll take MCT oil for cognitive performance. And then as a general kind of usual brain performance booster. I'll take a mix of ginseng and ginkgo biloba. Uh, and then all the other supplements I take, not so much for cognitive. I guess you could say omega-3. Uh, I take fish oil pretty much every day. That also has cognitive benefits. I'm trying to think what else. I think that covers it. That's a pretty good amount, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, nice, that's a nice cocktail. That's a nice brain cocktail. Warning, I don't take them all together. I choose every day kind of based on how I want to feel. Yeah. 
what uh what made you what made you why why israel yeah that's a great question um the first kind of reason is it isn't the us and i think i was looking for international experience and kind of becoming disenchanted with uh what was going on in the us and i had this critical turning point where i realized like uh it's not them it's me you know what i mean like uh in the, the first kind of moment of realization was in the 2000 elections and then uh subsequent elections local and federal where i would, I would just be like huh okay what I want and the way that I want things to look is not the way that other people want things to look. Uh, for example, healthcare is like a really big thing for me. And I was like, I really, like, I really want good universal healthcare. And, and time and time again, it kind of became proven to me that that's not what the majority of Americans wanted, at least in specific points in, in the country's history. So realizing like, okay, you know, I've, I've kind of done my civic duty and voted every single time. And things just kind of aren't happening the way that I want them to happen. So maybe my values are no longer aligned with the values of the country. Um, so that was one thing. Another one is kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm half Israeli. So I have this definite like Israeli connection and, and element of Zionism and wanting to support this country and help it grow uh, and looking for a wife, looking to find a nice Jewish wife, uh, where better than in Israel. Nice. <laughs> How long have you been, you been there? I've been here six years. Okay. So, okay, cool. So excited to talk with you because I am a ripe candidate for a lot of your offerings and <laughs> you know, you're, you're pretty legendary um, through Udemy and your own, your own personal um, learning frameworks, memory and, uh, and speed reading. Um, why do you think that you have had so much success in this area? Is it the way that you present the material that is accessible to people and they have success? I mean, can you explain a little bit about why you think how you teach is different than anybody else? Yeah. Well, I'd love to say that it's me, right? Um, and it's just my personality and people like, you know, my, my fashion sense, as you can see by the <laughs> But I don't think it is. I think, you know, when I when I first started all of this, uh, I, I did exactly what it is that I teach, which is I didn't know anything about online courses. I had only taken one online course in my life, and I was like, this is a really cool opportunity. Like this guy's standing there teaching tens of thousands of people alongside me. I could do this. Um, and people had been asking me a lot about accelerated learning and speed reading and the things that I'd I'd studied privately. So I sat down and I spent like a week just learning everything that I possibly could, like what makes a good online course? How do people learn? You know, because I knew the reading and the memory piece, but I didn't really understand how people learn when it comes to there are things that an educator can do that makes things sticky, that gamifies the learning experience, that gets people hooked, right? I just interviewed Nira Yal and we totally clicked on this. Like, how do I get someone hooked on one of my courses the way that they're hooked on Instagram? And I just sat down and I learned this stuff. Um, and, and I think that's why we've been so successful is because I, I really implement this stuff into my courses. I make them as addictive as I possibly can without any shame, because I really believe our courses are a much better thing to be addicted to than, than Instagram or Snapchat. Uh, I make sure that people are going to get the best possible results. I make things fun for people and I break things down in, in the way that I think is best. Each one of our courses and now 
we've actually gotten into the business of building courses for other thought leaders who, you know, we, we all know thought leaders who are really, really good on stage or work with private coaching clients, but to make that transition to an online course, you have to do a lot of thinking about what's going on in the person's brain when they're learning this and, and what are the challenges of asynchronous learning. Um, and we've been really, really uh, successful with that because we spend a lot of time thinking about exactly the learning experience we want to create and how that is going to affect the learner psychologically, neurologically, emotionally, and on and on and on. I, I think that's why we've been successful. I mean, we're, we're okay marketers. I would say my team and I are, are pretty good marketers, my team better than, than me. Uh, but I don't think we're exceptional marketers by any stretch, especially now that I'm you know, in, in circles with other marketers. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that good of a marketer, but I think our products are really high quality. Tell us, give us, give me some examples of how you think of what you just said about how to reach people psychologically, emotionally, give us an idea of the, some of the things that you think about. I mean, you're, you're, you're teaching people how to learn (laughs) And, and that's, you know, for a lot of people, they have anxiety about learning. They have anxiety about about tests and about retention and will I remember this? Oh, Jesus. Now I got to remember how to remember. Oh no. Right. You know, can, can you tell us a little bit about your, your process on how to get through to people and be effective for them within this coaching framework? And, and then, and then I definitely want nitty gritties on, on memory and speed. Totally. Yeah, no, I love, I love these questions because I don't get asked these as much as I'd like to. And uh, it's funny, we just produced a course for a thought leader in that kind of digital declutter space. So think of her as like Marie Kondo for your computer and your email and all this other stuff. Because think about it, how much time do you spend in your house versus on your computers? Like if your computer's cluttered, it's going to have all kinds of negative effects on you. And she, she laughed because we're producing all this content. She's like, I feel like you use the phrase, don't worry like every five minutes. And it's exactly that because people don't come to me because everything's like hunky dory. They come to me or, or this thought leader because they have a problem, right? And there is that anxiety. And, and so a lot of what we do is handholding. I always like to tell people like, you can learn anything that I teach or that you teach or that any one of the thought leaders that I produce courses for teaches online for free on YouTube. People come to me to hold their hands, to curate the content, to get them from A to B as quickly as possible because they don't want to spend five years learning the stuff the way that I did. They want to spend five weeks or five days. Um, and so a lot of what we do is just handholding and curating, uh, on one end of the spectrum, that means just eliminating noise, right? There's so much noise in the speed reading and memory world. It's like, we'll try this and do this. And, and if you read this way, you can do that. We just eliminate the noise and say, look, here's what the research shows. Do this, like, forget about all that other noise. Think about how much noise there is in like the health and fitness space right? Nutrition space, like so much noise. How much would you pay to just have someone go, this is what the research shows. Just do this. Don't pay attention to the latest fad diet in people magazine. Just do this. And so that's a big part of it. And the other one is, is really, I try to get into the head of the learner. So, you know, we just started working on a course with T major. Who's like the fitness guy was in charge of the fitness regimen for us special forces in Iraq, Afghanistan, really, really sharp guy. So we do this whole laying out the whole section, just to give kind of a really specific example. And he goes, all right, first thing I want to talk to people about, you know, they're coming and Joe Polish always has this saying, like, uh, 
sell people what they want, give them what they need, right? Is how you really impact people. So people are like, people want the like how to make your biceps big and like do this to get like 16 inch biceps. What people really need is to stop eating pita bread on a Monday afternoon, you know, like stop eating pizza and Coke. <laughs> um, and so he's like, first, that, first thing out of the gate, I wanna to talk to people about nutrition. So Sean, you open up this course with this hulking ripped guy who did all the fitness programs for US Special Forces, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the first thing you see is nutrition. What do you think to yourself? Like, and, the, and these are the questions that I ask. You're thinking, why is nutrition first? So the first lecture in the meat of the course after the introductions and everything is, why is nutrition the first and most important thing? Right? So anticipating that, that thinking process and just one of the things that I think we do really well in, our, in, really well in as a company is we view questions as failures. Because if you buy an online course or you subscribe to my online course learning platform and you have to ask a question, we, we, we used to have 24 seven support. Now we realize we don't need it because most of our customers are in one time zone or two time zones. Uh, but even if we have 24 hour support, it's at least gonna take us 20 minutes to get back to you. And that sucks because you're right now in this peak state of learning. Your, your you know, receptors are firing. You have all this kind of like dopamine going through your brain and you have to stop and go, I don't understand something. So every question we get, we view as a failure and an opportunity for improvement. And that's why we've rolled out so many versions of our online courses and created so many tweaks. It's like, it almost drives our students crazy because every few months when a course is relatively new, we're like, oh, download this latest version of the syllabus like once a week. Or we make changes behind the scenes that, that push out to everyone. Um, and so one of the first questions we have to ask people when they ask a question is like, well, have you seen the latest version of the lecture? Because we're constantly fixing stuff. Um, and I, I think that's how you have to be if you're an online educator because, you know, people, people, people have no patience, <laughs> right? I want the answer now. So anticipate any questions, any confusion that people could have and build that directly in to the program. So people can expect engaging with your content that you've thought two, three, four steps ahead so that the question that everybody has that, that was answered years ago yeah. and down the rabbit hole, you know, a week or two, if there's something sticky or unclear, you're thinking ahead about, okay, how do we fix this now? How do we adjust this? Yeah, it's, it's totally true. And customer experience is everything, right? Like they want to be, they want their handheld. You know, I think we, we all do, especially for something as um, something that can be s sort of triggering for people, you know, learning how to learn. Just in case people haven't listened to the, to the previous appearance on the OPP, how did you get into this space? How is it that you became uh, an expert in speed reading, a teacher in memory? Like how, mm -hmm. give us your Genesis story, please. Yeah, so I, I really struggled learning growing up. I was the class clown for many, many years. And, uh, and my parents knew that I was bright because I would do all these kinds of projects at home and I would learn all this kind of stuff, but I really didn't succeed in the academic environment whatsoever. I got tested for ADD when I was like seven or eight years old. I got medicated when I was 15 and I was like a zombie through all of high school and college. Um, and that, that was just my way of, of keeping up with other students because I just couldn't understand, couldn't remember. Um, 
And, and, and there are people who have way worse learning disabilities than me. I'm actually quite thankful at this point as an entrepreneur that I have ADD uh, because I don't think I'd have the kind of brain that I do. And, and, you know, I recently got to hang out with Kathy Colby and I was like, yeah, I'm super happy that I have the kind of brain that I have. Um, and that I live in a time where the kind of brain that I have can be put to good use in the form of entrepreneurship. But, um, so I struggled for many, many years in high school and college. My strategy was I, I stopped paying attention in lectures cause I just knew I wasn't able to learn that way. I would, if I had to be in lectures, I would just take my laptop and answer emails for my business. Um, and the only way that I managed to keep a decent GPA is I would just go home, take a bundle of Ritalin and just catch up to all the stuff that I didn't learn. So I was very autodidactic. Uh, when I got accepted to business school, I got accepted to one of the top programs in the world, which was great, but it was a condensed program. So 80% of the entire coursework of a full two-year MBA in 10 months. And on top of that, everyone I talked to was like, look, the MBA is at least 50% about networking, social experiences, you know, kind of meeting people and, and traveling places. And I was like, shit my old strategies aren't going to work. Right. And, and like, sure. Ritalin can help me sit still in the class, which was great, but that's not going to help me actually learn the material. It's just going to help me sit and pay attention. Um, so what I did is I hired two private tutors who happen to be a husband and wife couple, and they trained me in accelerated learning, speed reading, and memory. They actually, uh, one of them had a PhD in machine learning and information theory. And another one worked with, special needs kids and taught at the local uh, university. And so together they taught me a lot of what I teach today. I'll, I'll say like one of the first things that I did once I learned this skill is I was like, well, what else is out there? What else can I learn about learning? And I just opened this Pandora's box, not just about learning, but also about the human body, about kinesiology, about fixing all these little issues that I had, becoming more confident and charismatic. I mean, I really, it's like take a kid who, at the age of 13 was contemplating suicide because he wasn't X enough where X was just about everything, smart enough, funny enough, attractive enough, uh, liked enough. And give that kid a little over 10 years later the ability to kind of learn anything that he wants to. Like, what are the first things he's going to learn? And I just went crazy. I read a 660-page book on the anthology of body language, and I just fixed my body language. And I realized that I could hack people's psychology in the way that they perceive me by just holding my body differently, by speaking differently, by projecting my voice differently. And then I realized that I, I could go a step further and actually change my own perception of myself by reading about psychology and by reading about all these different uh, semi-spiritual ways to improve the way you see yourself and see life. So um, I came to realize that learning is really to, to take the title from my next book, the only skill that matters. Cause if you can learn anything, then you can be anything. And if you can be anything, you can do anything. And I know Sean, you've been listening to and interviewing for podcasts long enough that you've probably picked up on, on a lot of the same recurring themes. And one of the themes that I've learned, not just in my own life experience, but in interviewing 250 of the world's top performers is there is this huge theme of if you want to get to X, you don't just do the steps to get to X. You have to be the kind of person who naturally achieves X. It's, the, you know, it's all about personal growth. If you do the same things that Bill Gates does, you're not going to be Bill Gates. You have to become the kind of person that Bill Gates is, who will then do the kinds of things that Bill Gates does, who will then get the results that he gets. And that was like a huge moment 
for me is realizing I can literally be anything I want, except maybe a professional basketball player. All I have to do is learn the things that other people have learned to then become the way that they've become. It was like an addiction. So, yeah. That's beautiful. I really like that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, we were not taught how to learn flat out, especially not in the States, especially not in, in the sort of Russian socialist uh, Western education structure that we all, right. that me and, and all my friends and all your friends and they grew up in the States uh, came in. It's, it's, it's memorization and regurgitation short term without any integration, without any critical thought. And right. we, we are not taught how to learn at all. I mean, I, 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 you know, in preparation for this conversation, I was thinking about how, uh, if I've ever been taught how to learn anything. Right. And I have not, <laughs> I, I had I have, one conversation in college where, and, and well, it was two, one was in the classroom and one was out. And at the time I thought it was BS, which is funny. Cause I now write about it in my book. It was this skill of pre-reading. It's like, okay, well, if you need to read a 500-page book for tomorrow's class, like there are some things you can do to prime your brain. But that wasn't part of the curriculum. It was a mentor who was kind enough to pull me aside and go, hey, look, I noticed you haven't done the reading the last six weeks. Let's talk. But other than that, you know, and there's also I want to add, Sean, like there's so many things. I, I thought about it the other day. I should just make a list of things because I want to have kids in the next few years. I want to make a list of things that I know that they're not going to learn in school that are potentially more important than the things they will. And one of them, I, you know, I, I was doing another interview where we were talking about this whole thing. Like I learned the skills to become confident and to get along better with people because I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. And I was thinking to myself, like literally what's more important than that, right? So we yeah. talk to kids and we give them trigonometry which I don't, like to, I don't like to bash school curriculums a lot because I think history is super, super important. Math is super important. Biology is super important. Even PE is super important. It's like, why is there no class called social skills, right? Where it's just like, hey, you know, Sean, did you know that if you use people's name in conversation, they're more likely to feel like you give a shit about them? Like, why are these things not taught? Public speaking, why is that not taught? So yeah, sorry, I cut you off there, but it's like, there's so many things. Why, why do we not teach kids personal finance in school? Holy crap, it blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, yeah. I, so I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old and um, some of the most important skills that they have learned in their life is how to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, it's how to breathe. <laughs> yep. It's it's how to enter a room. It's how to make eye contact with adults. It's how to ask for what you need. It's you know like these are these are not these are not skills that they're that they're given. Um, I could give a shit about Christopher Columbus. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not important. But what is what is important is to understand how to under how to understand your own emotions and to be right. in your body at six and know like okay I'm experiencing. X emotion. How do I work through this? How do I express I this? And we're, and 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 for my six-year-old, who is v deeply, deeply sensitive, very emotional, charismatic, like he's a ball of emotions most of the time, 
And it's, it's going to be critical for his success to be able to process that and to activate on the understanding of where he's at. Like, why, why did this one interaction um, throw him off and what he can do to adjust that? You know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's really important because uh, he's never going to get that in school. Um, so back to your, back to your pre-reading, I'd love to get granular a little bit on some tips and techniques for, you know, I think most people know what the memory palace is if they don't, you know, maybe briefly touch on that, but what is, what is pre-reading and how do you prep for, uh, for learning from, from a piece of information? Love it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was such an amazing experience for me in writing this book now five years after I wrote the first book is realizing like getting, getting the opportunity to go back and do a review of what I've learned about learning in teaching over 200,000 people and in, in talking to audiences and in really doing the analysis of like what's actually working for my students. And one of the things that kept coming up time and time and time again was this idea of pre-reading, which ironically, two different people had pulled me aside in college and been like, hey, if you're struggling with your reading, do this. And it sounded so shallow to me that I was like, there's no way this works. Basically what pre-reading is, is it's, it's glorified skimming. I call it like upgraded skimming. It's part of uh, the SQ3R survey question uh, and then read, recall, review method. There are different ways of reading. SQ3R is one that's taught actually in a lot of schools, um, but there's a lot more emphasis taught on the review and the read and the recall rather than on the surveying question. So we take that surveying question, we combine it into two, and we tell the student to read the text generally at a, at a pace of about one to two seconds per page. Now, Obviously, you're not going to read the page at one to two seconds per page. What you're actually going to do is skim. Now, when you skim, Sean, you want to pull out things that, that catch your attention, whether that's titles, headings, numbers, proper names, words that are italicized or bold. I mean, anything that stands out to you, words that feel like they don't fit on the page. Then what you want to do is start generating questions around that. So survey, question. Questions such as, why is the word, uh, you know, uh, superfluous in here? Or why is San Francisco here? What happened in 1946? What, it, what things am I not seeing in this speed that I would expect to see? What are my preconceptions about this text? How do I feel about it? What are the assumptions that I have going in? Honestly, there's no wrong answers. There's no wrong questions, I guess I should say, because the purpose of the questions is not to get anything right. It is literally to enhance focus and curiosity. The human brain has this, this incredible ability, and, and I guess I should say inability to avoid a question. It's kind of like if I tell you don't think of pink elephants, you can't not think of pink elephants. If I ask you a question, you can't not chew on it, right? Like, why do sea levels rise? Where does all that soil come from? That question is going to plague you, right? Until you figure out the answer. We all know that experience of like, hold on, let me stop the whole conversation so that I can look it up on Google, right? Um, so generating that questions create generates more interest and more curiosity. This is particularly useful and helpful if you're reading boring, dense materials. Um, Research has actually shown that people who do this form of pre-reading are significantly more able to produce correct 
comprehensive summaries of the text later on. In other words, when they do read, their comprehension and retention are higher, high enough that they can produce summaries of the text. All that's happening is you're, you're taking this cognitive bias into effect and you're actually spinning it on its head. So instead of having this cognitive bias that makes you ignore the things that don't fit into your cognitive model, what you're doing is turning that cognitive bias in your favor, getting your brain to pay more attention because you've created a bias towards the text. Because you said, oh, they're talking, I saw the word vegan in here, I know what they're gonna say. They're gonna talk about this whole thing, the planetary impacts, you're, you're essentially using that to your advantage because you can't escape that cognitive bias. So you might as well use it. How much of it has to do with our own personal connection or association perspective on that content? Like that cognitive bias is that how important is, is our own like opinion and personal bias to that content? How does that play in? Huge. I'm glad you asked that. It's huge. Um, our brain uses a, an algorithm, not unlike Google's PageRank in determining importance, right? So Google, when they came out with their search engine, it was like completely revolutionary because what they do is not just scan the web and go, yeah, this looks kind of important or scan the text in, in the actual web page and go, yeah, this seems kind of high quality. They do all that. Every search engine does that. But what PageRank does is go, what is this content about? What is it connected to? Meaning what are it, what's it linking to and what links to it? And then how important is that, right? If you're getting a link from a major website like CNN, you're probably pretty important. Now our brains do almost exactly the same thing. It's like, what is this information connected to? How many different memories is it connected to? And how important are those memories? For example, if you were to discover a new piece of information and it was linked to something that you'd seen or done a thousand times. For example, uh, I had a painting in my parents' bedroom growing up. I saw this painting every single day on and on and on and on. And then one day I happened to discover what that painting was. Now, do you think that I then remember that painting more? Or do you think that I forgot it like every other painting that I see when I go to a museum in another country? It's like, no, now that, that painting is fixed because I had thousands of different memories running into my parents' bedroom you know, on, on holidays or on the morning of my birthday and seeing that painting. It's connected to so many different memories and memories of high value that that algorithm now says, this is really important, remember this painting. So one of the things, by the way, yeah, one of the things, by the way, that, that is a, like super hack and it, again, it's one of those things you wouldn't think that it works because we haven't even gotten into, you know, the, the intense memory tactics of visualization, memory palace, all that stuff, like you said, is just whenever you learn something, just create one to two connections. This is called the dual encoding effect. Um, whenever I meet someone named Sean, I'll just think, right? Like, how is this Sean similar to other Sean's that I know? And just by creating that one connection, I haven't even done any visualization, any memory palaces. I'm like, five times more likely to remember it. Anytime I learn a new word in a foreign language, I might just go, what does this kind of sound like? Because when we treat, and so oftentimes we treat every piece of new information as completely new information, but there's no new information, right? Everything is connected. All the body of human knowledge is connected in some way or another. And even if that connection is complete BS, it's completely made up, it doesn't matter to your brain your brain will find a way to trace back to that piece of information 
So a lot of the connections that I make and when I, when I coach students, it's like the logic won't make sense to you at all, but it makes sense to me and it allows me to trace my way back. And what it does is it fools my brain into thinking this is probably pretty important. It's connected to something. That is so clear. It <laughs> strikes me. I mean, I know this is, this is, this is your jam. This is your shit. I, and, and so I shouldn't be so surprised that you're speaking so clearly about it. But, but it, it, is, it is astounding the clarity at which you speak about this stuff. I mean, yeah, whether or not it is important is, is, uh, is, is subjective. And so you might as well use that, right? Like this, this Sean, uh, this Sean has a saved, shaved head. How many other Seans do I know that have a shaved head? I don't know any this Sean is wearing white or this Sean has a high voice. Oh yeah. That other Sean has a high voice too. Okay. Sean's have high voice. Okay. His name is Sean. Right. Like, is that, is that close? It's great. Yeah. And then when you layer on the visual component and the visual element, I mean, I went to like brown eyes so I can visualize you and my childhood friend, Sean, you both have brown eyes. I might just picture the two of you talking and picture the two of you together. It's going to be a hell of a lot easier. Now say we're learning like a foreign language word, like we can learn, uh, I don't know. What's a word you want to know in Russian or Hebrew or Spanish or something? I want to learn the word fun. In Hebrew? In, uh, in Hebrew. Yeah, all right. Let's do Hebrew. It's, it's funny. In Russian, they don't have a clear word for fun. You can say enjoyable. But I asked them one time, I was like, this is really fun. How do I say fun? And they're like, we don't have words. <laughs> we have, yeah, it means enjoyable, pleasant, nice. But uh, anyway, so fun in Hebrew is a kif, uh, kind of like K-E-F, I guess you would spell it. Uh, what does that sound like to you, Sean? Kif. That immediately, it's stoner here, uh, sounds like keef, like the uh, crystals of a cannabis plant. Okay. Your grinder, keef. Kif. Okay. Now I want you to imagine that like you get a bunch of keef. And which, by the way, Keef means high five, right? So we can dual encode because the more connections you create to something, Hebb's law states neurons that wire together fire together. So the more connect connections we create, and that's what I love about this method, the better it's going to work. So normally in a language, if I was like, oh, and by the way, that sounds like this other word, which is totally a different word. Huh. But because I'm going to layer this in, we're going to build this one visualization. It's actually going to strengthen it. It's kind of like you know, think about why is a carbon atom so strong and why are carbon bonds so strong? Because they have four points of connection. So the more connection, the better, right? And chemistry is a lot like the way your brain works. So I want you to imagine that you like have your grinder and you have all these like all this keef, right? And you like look to your buddy who's who happens to be, you know, also a stoner. Think of a stoner buddy that you always have fun with. And you're like, high five, there's a shitload of this stuff in here. So keef, right? And then you remember like the keef and then you smoke it and then picture some fun experience that you have, like watching your favorite movie, huh. Kef. You do that in real time, all the time, 24 seven? Not 24 seven, when I'm learning new things. So like the other day we, uh, we went to the airport and, and there are systems for doing everything, right? So we went to the airport, we parked in the long-term parking, everyone forgets after four days of vacation. Uh, and we were parked in 26 which using major method, you can convert to uh, nudge, nush. Um, there aren't really a lot of good things to convert that to, but niche, for example. So I converted it to noosh, which is like a little nickname that I used for my wife. And then I just pictured her waiting for me instead of the car waiting for me. 
so there, there's ways to convert everything and it and it's quick and easy. Like, and, and if you do it right, you'll always remember it or, or remember it for a lot longer. Like three weeks ago, we parked in this underground parking thing for this concert. And I just happened to remember that it was 179. That was our parking spot because I have a visualization for it, which 179 is take B, for example, or uh, doc B, doc P. I mean, there's different things that you can make out of that, but it was just take B. So I just imagine a jar with a B and then I imagined I took the jar with the B with me to the concert, take B. Or like uh, my, uh, well, should I, should I share this? Uh, I have my, my, my wife's ID number whenever I have to like do flights, hers is muscles turn cake, really simple, right? Um, and then I just imagine that we're at the gym and she's doing pull-ups, which is like her strength goal for the month. And in the middle of her doing pull-ups, her muscles just turn to cake, right? Super simple. It's connected to my wife. It's connected. The reason it's in the gym is because that helps me kickstart the visualization of muscles and then muscles turn cake. By the way, funny, funny thing. Like I don't actually know my zip code. If you told me to tell it to you, I'd have to convert it. So it's always encoded in these visualizations. Just like I don't know her ID number until I need it. And then I convert it. So muscles turn cake would be three, Three, zero, five, zero, one, four, two, seven, seven. Muscles turn cake. Please tell us how this method works. Yeah, how does how does how yeah, does the code really work? We gotta know. <laughs> yeah, it's really simple. So, uh, and it's cool because once you uh, once you know this code, you can like I can basically like well I I won't now because I'm gonna tell you how the system works. But I can like tell my wife my passcode to my phone. It's like, oh, babe, it's like uh, high five is, let's say my, you know, and so she'll just put in like whatever high five is. Um, I chose that because it, it doesn't actually mean anything in, in major method. So basically the way major method works is you have a uh, consonant, which should work in just about any language from zero, one, two, three, on to nine. So for example, zero is SC, soft C, or Z. One is T or D. The way you remember that is it has one downstroke, T and D. Two is a sideways M. Three is a sideways M. Four is a backwards R. So you remember these. Five has an L on the top. And, and we can put this in the show notes for people. Six is S-H-C-H uh, or soft J, like je, je ne sais pas, like French. Seven is K, hard K. Eight is V or F, like V8. Nine is P or B. That's it. Uh, vowels don't count for anything. Spelling doesn't matter at all. So for example, cake is seven, seven. Make sense? Um, Sean, your name, Sean, would be, because it's S-H and not zero, it would be six, two. And then McCormick, even though it has two Cs, would be three, seven, four, three, seven. Right, the C and the K count as one, and then the two Cs count as one. Have I completely confused you, or are you with me? I'm with you. Okay, cool. So you can use any word. Spelling doesn't count. You can break things however you want. So like, some people who are really good at it can look at uh, you know five numbers and make one word out of it. Uh, when people are first starting out, they'll use a lot of what are called peg syllables, so they won't be able to figure out uh, you know something with more than one or two. So all the end pieces will become like she, t, me. And then you end up getting sentences like, 
see me go, which would be zero, three, and then G, usually G ends up being uh, six. So see me go. Make sense? Once you get yeah. better at it, it becomes yeah. way more useful. And then like, you can remember a phone number like crazy pink turtle. So how easy is it for you to picture a pink turtle with like, you know, a little like wacky hypnotism sign or like the Mad Hatter hat. So crazy pink turtle works out to be, again, I have to do the work after seven, four, and, and then the seven, four, zero, and then the E crazy doesn't count for anything. So seven, four, zero pink would be nine, two, seven. It's a phone number basically. Yeah. Turtle. So then, so mm -hmm. once you've, once you've coded it, then it's a matter of remembering to take the jar with the B on it. Like yeah. then it's all visual. And, and the whole goal, the reason this exists, because it's, it's not that much easier to remember the words crazy pink turtle than it is to just remember seven, four, zero, you know, nine, two, seven, where, where the rubber hits the road and where this actually becomes useful is where everything becomes a visualization. So we're all subject. I don't care if you're a tactile kinesthetic learner or whatever, we're all subject to the picture superiority effect. In other words, you will remember pictures way better and way faster than you remember anything except for smell and taste. The only reason for that is smell and taste are much, much, much older senses. They're connect deeply into the reptilian brain through the limbic system. So like, until we figure out a way to smell a phone number, it doesn't help us. Visual, however, you can create visualizations for anything. And that's why the major method exists is so that I can turn your phone number, Sean, into a visualization such as crazy pink turtle, and then actually remember that visualization and maybe put that visualization on your shoulder so that I remember that you're the one with the crazy pink turtle. Um, Again, all this stuff that we've talked about before, such as connecting to other visualizations, like you notice how I threw out there, okay, how am I going to remember that the turtle's crazy? Well, I recently, a couple of weeks ago, I read uh, the original Alice in Wonderland, right? So you have the Mad Hatter. Well, the Mad Hatter had this like big top hat. So let me just put a big top hat and create an association between that. Um, and then I have my crazy pink turtle. Uh, it's all about converting everything to visualizations. And, and that's the bulk of what we teach. Yeah, such as, you know, such as the Memory Palace, um, right? Do you have just millions of uh, pink turtles with top hats and bananas with uh, huge biceps and evergreen trees? Yeah, they're just, yeah. I don't have as many as, as most people. Uh, as most nemonists, um, most of mine are like language learning stuff or music stuff. I tend to kind of like pick a subject and then uh, and then figure out how I can use it. So a few years ago, I learned music theory, and I I like so struggled. If anyone knows like the circle of fifths, you need to know kind of like what notes are in what keys, and then what's the third and fifth of every single note, and it's like really confusing. And I don't consider myself particularly musical or not naturally at least. And so I, you know, we have this saying in Hebrew that the shoemaker goes barefoot. And so I'm like sitting over this thing, trying to memorize it for weeks. And then I was like, wait a minute, I could just develop my own technique for memorizing it. So I created a memory palace actually out of this exact room. And it took me 10 minutes and I just knew the whole circle of fifths. I was like, okay, well, here's the B sharp and here's the F sharp and here's this. It was like so shockingly easy. 
Um, but I've got like a dozen or more memory palaces. Uh, I've got one for Russian grammar. I've got one for the NATO phonetic alphabet, one for music theory. To be honest with you, after a certain point, you almost, I, I almost don't need memory palaces anymore. When I learn something new, I may or may not create just a lone visualization by itself. The kind of hidden secret that I don't publicize a lot is when you've practiced this stuff long enough, you almost don't need the techniques anymore. Like my memory is so good and I trust it so much that I'll learn a new word, say in Hebrew, I'm always learning new words in Hebrew because it's the language that I speak more than anything really. Uh, and I'll generally just remember those words because I'll create some kind of association. And my, my understanding of the language is so deep that I can get to like the roots of words um, and I'll understand the logic behind, but I'll almost immediately do this question where I'll ask someone, you know, oh, is that based on this root? And if they go, yes, then there's like 70 different ways to conjugate the word. Like I will, you will, he will. And so I'll go, okay, so uh, what's an example? Like, uh, okay, choreography from the word choreographer. Okay, so someone who choreographs is a choreographer, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, the, the moves are choreographical. Can I say that? Like I'll ask four or five questions to create all these connections. And then I'm like, okay, great. I know the word. I don't actually need to come up with a visualization for choreograph. Um, but it takes a long time to get there and, and a lot of practice. <laughs> well, you know, and, and like, like you mentioned, <clears throat> when you develop a skill, you're making new neural connections, you're practicing, uh, you're, you're formatting your brain yeah. to remember things longer term. Bingo. Um, I want to stick a pin in that and go back to it because I am curious about neurochemistry conversation. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I'd love to hear some anecdotes and stories from some of your students. Mm -hmm. uh, remind everybody what the course is called and, <clears throat> and where they can find it. We'll just get to that because we haven't done a good job of like pinpointing that. Like, give, us, give us a couple of like success stories. Yeah. So uh, the, our main course on learning is called uh, the Super Learner Masterclass. Uh, and people can check it out at superhumanacademy.com. We, we actually just launched a subscription program where people can get access to all the courses that I build and the courses that my team and I build for other thought leaders. It's like 49 bucks a month. Join whatever you want. Like we really want to make this accessible to everybody. A uh, couple stories stand out to me. One was this guy named David Sands. And he, his girlfriend is from Russia, but he's from Spain, but he lives in France and he wanted to learn Portuguese. He, he essentially, when he came to us, he spoke three languages and his whole approach was like, it took me four years to learn each language and I want to be able to learn the next language in four months, ideally. Uh, he took the course aced it with flying colors. He now speaks seven languages at varying extents. So when I interviewed him, I decided to kind of like test. And so we actually had a conversation back and forth in Russian, uh, broken Russian probably from my end, but super impressive. Uh, we had another student who admitted to me, he's like, I used to get books as a Christmas or birthday gift. And I used to just throw them in the trash because I knew I would never have time to read them. And now, like, I collect books and I actually read the books and I get through all my coursework and I actually enjoy it. 
because I figure out ways to find connections to make the learning practical uh, and applicable. So really cool. We also had one guy, this was like one of my favorite ones. You remind me of him a little bit, same haircut. And I interviewed him, he was wearing a white shirt uh, and his name was Dwight. So he was an Air Force pilot who was making the transition to commercial. And I don't know if you know, but commercial planes are really, really uh, intense to train people on. In fact, the reason that Boeing did not come out with a new model to replace the 737 is American Airlines basically forced them to keep producing it by putting in an order of like 125 737s. The only reason for that was it's too freaking expensive to train 50 plus pilots to fly a new aircraft. So they're flying now an aircraft that's like 30 plus years old, the 737-800. One of the ones which had problems was the 737-800 MAX. Anyway, it's like a big issue to train pilots on, on a new plane. Um, and Dwight came to us because he wanted to be able not just to make the transition to commercial, but he wanted to get a raise up into the latest class. Obviously, if there aren't that many pilots who can fly the latest, 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 you know, seven, whatever, 787 Dreamliner, you're going to get a higher salary. So, but he didn't have a lot of time to study because he was doing an hour and a half or two hour commute from the Air Force Base to the training center to home. And so he figured out a way to practice all these memory skills while he was driving without being unsafe. And he would just, on his hour and a half commute, he would memorize as many license plates as possible every single day. And he got to the point where he'd memorize like 20 or 30 license plates on the drive. Now, someone asked me later, they're like, how did he know that he got them right? And I was like, I don't know. He must have had like a dash cam or something. Like, how did he know he actually got them right? But he, we, we reached out to him because his results were like stellar. I mean, beyond what many people who had much more free time were achieving. And he was one of the people who helped us kind of reaffirm and, and prove our hypothesis that the people who are most successful in our programs are not the ones who like watch all the lectures diligently and do all the, uh, you know, worksheets diligently. It's actually people who take it and practice it in the real world. And we can trace someone's success, not to how diligently they log into our website, but to how diligently they go out and actually use this stuff. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about brain chemistry a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was one of the topics that you dug into with, uh, with Ryan Munsey on your previous appearance. Tell us a little bit about what our brain does when we learn. What's, what's the activity that's, that's, that's happening in the brain and how do we hack it? Yeah. So I'll, I'll preface by saying I'm not a neuroscientist, um, but, and, and I guess I should also add, we don't know a lot of the answers to that. We are starting more and more and more to understand how the brain works and, and fMRI, you know, functional magnetic resonance imaging has really helped us understand what's going on in the brain. But we still, we know more about the ocean. I mean, the, the old cliche is true. Like we literally know more about the ocean floor than we know about what's happening in our own brains. Um, and every time we kind of try and start to figure something out, we find out like, oh, actually like maybe this part is interconnected to this part and, and we don't know why. One example, just in 2017, scientists wanted to understand what was happening in the brain when we learn it and why, why visual, novel visual stimuli such as new places affects our brain so much. Now, up until this point, they had thought that it was, um, I don't remember exactly which chemical it was, neuroepinephrine. 
that was causing you like, I'm in a new place, heightened awareness, heightened sensitivity. They figured out that actually what was happening is that there was dopamine going from the CA3 region of the brain, which they had kind of no idea was involved with learning and also dopamine. like, like It's kind of like, what are you doing at the party, dopamine? So it was going from the CA3 region to the locus coeruleus of the brain. And they're just like, like shrug. Why? We don't know. Uh, and that, that was just in December of 2017. So the, like, we're always discovering these new things like, oh, okay, so if you visualize, this is what's happening. And actually, that's why that's more effective because you are getting this rush of dopamine, question mark, which is helping. So um, I'm, I'm hesitant to answer the question directly of like, this is how we learn because I think it's changing. We do know quite a bit though about uh, not necessarily the chemistry, but actually the mechanics, right? Like we know that our brains are composed of neurons, um, which are electrically excitable cells. The cliche that you hear, if you've ever heard someone say there are more neurons in your brain than the observable galaxy, that's actually true. There are, if you have a pretty sophisticated microscope or a microscope telescope, you can observe about a hundred billion stars in the night sky. You have about a hundred billion neurons, which blows my mind every day anew. Uh, those are connected by synapses, which are these electrical pathways. And we're learning more and more and more about, about that interaction and how it works. Like here's something super interesting that I learned last year. Your memories are actually modifiable. And I'll, they've done like crazy experiments where they've convinced people of memories. And if they repeat it enough times, like, yeah, Sean, don't you remember you got in that fight with that other kid in seventh grade and you got sent home? The first time you'll be like, nah, man, that never happened. And then the second time you'll be like, yeah, I kind of do it. By the eighth time that I tell it to you over the period of six months, you'll be like, yeah, well, here's the thing. He said this one thing about my mom. And then I remember so distinctly, I grabbed his hair and he elbowed me in the nose. And that just made me even more pissed. Like you can literally in incept people. And what's crazy is the more you access them, every time you access a memory, it's like taking a book off the bookshelf. You can modify it. So it's like if you recall uh, a memory in the telling of it, you can actually modify that memory. So it's, it's totally crazy, like all the stuff that we're learning. I, I try to keep abreast of all of it alongside all my other uh, duties running my company, but it, it's just incredible. Uh, we actually just hired a neuroscientist to do a whole review and, and the reports on our website. He spent like a few months doing a whole uh, meta-analysis of all of our techniques and seeing which ones have been like, uh, what's it called, disproven in the five years since I wrote the course, which ones are still unsure and which ones are like thoroughly proven. So people can see a whole review on our website of like, okay, this still super relevant. This one, people are starting to question if it actually works, that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, when you think about um, like first person testimony, you know, having to go back and remember what happened at the scene of a crime. It's totally right. unreliable and everybody's totally. version is different. Right. And totally. it's you know, maybe because something happened, they saw it and then they went to go get a coffee. And, it, and for that reason, it modified their, their recall of that, of that 100%. incident. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, wow. man, oh man. And, and a lot of the times what they actually do, like in the Unabomber case, uh, the drawing that we all know of the Unabomber with the glasses, like the one that's imprinted in your mind, is actually a, a near perfect recall of the first graphic artist that the person spoke to the day after he spotted the Unabomber. 
it's like it's like he switched the people in his mind. Yeah, wild, completely. Are there memory techniques that are really popular that just don't work? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they all to some extent work. There are ones that I wish I could see go away, like repeating a name seven times. It's like it, it's better than nothing, right? And and part of the reason that it works is like Harry Lorraine once told me the reason most people forget names is they don't listen. So if you tell yourself, I'm going to have to repeat it seven times, you're actually going to listen. But it's like, I don't repeat names seven times. It doesn't work as well as just creating that one visualization and paying attention long enough to be like, oh, Sean, Sean with a shaved head, Sean with the white shirt. Um, so I wish that one would go away and creating things into songs drives me nuts because it's such a waste of effort. And you hear people who are like, Hey man, I got through med school doing that. It's like, well, how much time did you spend studying? Like, how much time did you spend creating these songs? Um, and and hey, on some level, like if it works for people, that's great. It's just I, I, you know, it pains me to see people doing something when there's there's such a better way, which is memory palaces, spaced repetition, um, visualization. It just works, you know. You know, I've heard you talk about, um, specifically with speed reading, how challenging it is, how like mentally tiring it is. And I, and I heard you say, right. you know, I, I can get through a book in a very short period of time, uh, but I need to take a nap afterward. You know, with, with our current totally. reality, constantly being inundated with information, ads, push notifications, posts, mm -hmm. deadline, I mean, you know, we have to be careful about what we want to allow into our brain, what, how we decide what's important and what's not. And this ad for, you know, uh, all bird wool shoes, uh, again on Instagram, like, I don't care. I don't need to remember that. I need to remember this, um, you know, something that was posted by Jonathan, um, two parts. How, how can right. we be better at deciphering quickly what's important and what's not and what are the implications on that for like just fatigue when we're doing this when we're let's when we're learning a new thing how should we factor in the fact that it's tiring reading a book in reading a, a whole book in an hour how do we how do we deal with that I love this question, Sean, because it also is another another one of those areas that I wanted to cover in this next book, uh, The Only Skill That Matters, which I didn't cover in any of my previous books. And, and the idea is one of kind of like preparation and goal setting beforehand. Uh, and, you know, we've all heard, heard, I think it's Yogi Berra who said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And so I think where people go wrong is, is first, they don't prepare. And I, I've made the same mistake and I detail it in the book, like how I will forever be an inferior Russian language speaker because I didn't take the steps to properly learn in the right order. But also when we sit down, we go, okay, I want to learn how to program. Well, what does that mean? Right? Do you want to, do you want to learn how to develop your own programming language or do you want to learn how to fix other people's code? Cause there's a very different process. So asking yourself first and foremost, what is my goal before you set out to do anything right before you start before you, okay, say you're going to start listening to OPP or you're going to start listening to my podcast. Like, what are you trying to achieve? Okay. Is it, is it, I want to be more informed about all the options that are available to me to increase my performance and feel better. In which case, listen to every single episode. If it's, I have a specific problem, which is I get really tired at three o'clock and my work, you know, performance completely drops off. Then there, 
probably what you want to do is is listen to this episode and this episode and this episode first. Um, so asking yourself, like, what is my goal? And I mean that in, in a small way, such as what are the things that I'm trying to achieve out of this particular book, which will change the way that I read this book and if I read the sequel. But I also mean that in a really big way, meaning where do I want to be in a year, five years, 10 years? And how do I want that person to be different from the person I am today? Because that's going to change your entire diet, if you will, of the things that you consume and how you consume them. So, and by the way, I think like most people, if, if they do that analysis, are going to realize like all the Instagram scrolling is not feeding you what you want or need to go in that direction. So like find another, you know, if you need that 20 minutes on the toilet to, to disengage, like find something else that is in line with your goal. And, and I did this recently and I decided, you know what, like delete all that crap from my phone, delete Facebook. And just, if I want that, that kind of like dopamine rush of checking my phone, I can check the New York times or I can check my Kindle app and like read something. So I always have a couple different books going at any, any given time. I have like a book for relaxation, a book for stimulation, uh, which I think is different than I, I was a few years ago because I was so focused on my goal is read as many books I can as I can a year, which is great. Like I'm not against that because it was one of the most intense growth periods in my life to read 50 books a year. But now my goal is different, right? And so doing that analysis changes the way that I go about learning and what I'm learning and what I'm learning it from. And that's huge. Uh, I do subscribe to a lower information diet than I think people would anticipate given my reading speed. I try to get the vast majority of my information from books because I tend to think that if it has gone through that kind of filter that someone actually thought it was worth writing a book and a thousand or 10,000 other people thought it was worth reading and reviewing that book, it's probably more evergreen and relevant information than whatever the hell is on the front page of CNN today. Um, I will generally consume news once it reaches a level of kind of importance that people are talking about it in my social circle. And I don't mean like sharing it on Facebook. I mean, actually talking about it at a dinner party. I will go home, read 10 articles in 20 minutes. Uh, but otherwise, so much of what's happening in the news, I don't need to consume. Like I'd rather consume books. Uh, and I, I watch a shitload of documentaries. I love documentaries. I geek out really intensely. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to two podcasts or uh, YouTube people that I don't know, but I love their stuff. Uh, Polymatter and Wendover Productions because they do basically like 10 to 15 minute sort of documentaries on like, hey, why is China building a 70 million person city? Or like, why, uh, why did Israel become the world's top startup ecosystem? It's like super interesting, geographic, economic, like the, the economics of Formula One racing, super fascinating. Uh, and then I try not to consume like crap information that doesn't mean anything to me or my life. Right, because if you're- It's not it, easy. It, oh yeah, well, I mean, if you're, if you're highly attuned, to absorb and, re and retain information right. that could be dangerous if you're if you're absorbing and retaining ads right and I, I i always try like to nurture my curiosity like i think a lot of people a lot of people shame or guilt themselves when they go on like a wikipedia spiral and i've stopped doing that because i think uh i think learning is learning i've i've really started to view all learning 
as valuable learning. Um, and, you know, maybe learning about the Kardashians is not like, maybe that's an exception. But for the most part, I think the more you learn, the more you're capable of learning. When you do things the way that I, I teach in the book is basically the more I know, the more connection points I have, the more surface area I have in my brain to connect this stuff. And so, you know, the other day I got super curious about the Red Cross. Like, what is it? Is it a non-governmental organization? Is it a collective of, like, is it connected to the UN? So like, it's on my to-do list to just like research the Red Cross. Like, we all talk about it. What the hell is this thing actually? Like, who runs it? Um, and that's fine. Like, that's, it, it has nothing to do with my work. It's not going to project me forward. But I want to encourage people that when you have that curiosity to learn about the world around you, don't shame yourself. Don't be like, oh, I got sucked into another Wikipedia spiral yesterday about Martin Luther King. Like, totally fine. Do it. It's way better than browsing Facebook. Way better. I'm sure that you got to a point at which you said, okay, where am I going to apply this? Um, not, not just in language, not just in music, but like, how do I want to apply this skill? Not just, not just the knowledge I have, but how do I want to apply this skill? Clearly, you apply that skill to create um, coursework in a business. What other areas have you applied your techniques and applied your ability to remember into? And, and you, it's a, that's a very personal question. Um, and, I'm an open okay. book. Okay. Uh, how much time do you have? So the first thing <laughs> I said, I worked on body language because I'd always had self-esteem problems. Uh, I went kind of deep into spirituality. Uh, I read a lot of like Eckhart Tolle, um, a lot of like Buddhism and, and just trying to get more centered and grounded with myself. Obviously, online courses, marketing, copywriting, how to build my business, how to manage people remotely, how to lead, uh, kind of everything that you see me doing, how to podcast, how to write books, um, how to work with Filipinos. Like, And people can follow me on Goodreads, by the way. Like, There will be no surprises. You will see all these books that I read. Um, more recently, a few years ago, I, I, I kind of have this pattern again, like the shoemaker goes barefoot, where it's like, have a problem, have a problem, have a problem, try to fix it a hundred different ways. And then go, oh, right. Like what I preach every single day on my podcast, I'll just learn my way out of this problem. So I was single for nine years uh, from my last relationship and none of my relationships would last more than like two or three months. So for the most part, single for nine years. And eventually I go, okay, what if instead of trying all this other external stuff, like another dating website or emailing every one of my female friends who was, you know, reasonably successful and going, Hey, do you know any women in your social circles? Like none of that worked. Uh, so then I said like, what if I just treated this as every other challenge, right? My, my solution to the self-esteem problem was not external. It was internal. So what if I learned how to be the kind of person who is in a healthy, happy relationship? And so I did that. I read a ton of books on the topic uh, and midway through the last book that I read on the topic, I met my now wife uh, and we, uh, we've been together now over two years and it literally was a learning challenge after all that time. And, and, and obviously I'm sure I couldn't have skipped any steps because I had to grow and become that person, but it literally was like, here are my patterns here's the things that I do wrong. Here's why those things don't work. 
here's how I need to change what I'm looking for, but also here's how I need to change who I am and how I show up. And uh, it was crazy and spooky. Like the first time she ever walked into my place, which I think was like after our third date, she started pointing out and noticing things that I had changed as part of this process. Like that I had learned, like this does not communicate what I want to communicate to a potential mate. This does. And she'd be like, oh, that's interesting. You have this hanging up on your wall. And I was like, whoa. So uh, that's, that's a recent one. Um, right now, what I'm really passionate about learning is uh, investing in multifamily real estate. So I, I want to sell a house that I bought in California a decade ago. And I want to buy like a 40 to 50 unit apartment complex and learn how to manage it. And so I've learned like so much in such a crazy amount of time. Like sometimes I catch myself on the phone, like talking to financiers or like brokers and like throwing out terms like, well, okay, well, if we reach just an LTV of 80%, do you think that you could do a 10 year term? And like, look, the cap rate is 8%, you know, I'm just like, who the hell is this guy? Like, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. And, and, you know, a couple of months ago, I had no freaking idea. I didn't know the first thing about multifamily, what was expected, what I needed to look out for. So uh, that's, been, that's been really interesting. And of course, because this is the Optimal Performance Podcast, people are looking for um, hacks. Not, not, and, and shortcut is a weird word because sh- shortcut right. may seem like a naughty word or a negative, have a negative connotation, but it's just like it's minimum effective dose. How can you get to the goal the fastest and they're probably thinking, okay, where would I want to apply this? Yeah, yeah. I love that question. I, I think also, though, for me, and, and maybe this is just because I grew up not being happy with who I was for many, many years, and that's like that's imprinted in me, and that's who I am. Like I was telling my wife uh, for the equivalent of Halloween here is like I hate dressing up because I spent so many years wanting to be someone else. Like now the only thing I fucking want to be is Jonathan Levy every single goddamn day, you know? Um, but for me, a, a really pertinent question whenever I think about what I want to learn is who do I want to be? And, and if you don't have a clear answer to that, it's how do I want my life to look? Like, do I want love in my life? Yes. Okay. I better figure out how the hell to do that. And, and more importantly, how to be in a healthy, happy relationship. Do I want wealth in my life? And what does wealth even mean to me? Does it mean not having to work anymore and just volunteering all day? Because if so, I've got a, a hell of a lot of books for you. Uh, if it means, you know, being deeply passionate and working 80 hours a week because you love your work so much that that's a different game. So like asking yourself, and again, I'll come back to the whole idea of like goals and drawing out a vision of what you want your life to look like should then dictate. So I think I actually just took away like a big takeaway from this episode from you, Sean, which is like a lot of times we're plugging this learn, learn, learn thing. And I think a lot of people hearing our message are like, well, I don't even know where I want to start. So we need to do a better job talking to people about like, where do you want to be and who do you want to be? And then tying that back, that learning is that gateway. Learning is, is really the only skill that matters to getting there. Yeah, right. Because you could learn Spanish, but if you don't use it and it doesn't matter in your life, then that's sort of wasted time, um, you okay. could say. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's an important thing to be um, self-reflective and ask yourself hard questions about where you want to go and what you want to be. What, what resources have helped you? Because you have, you have reoriented it back to that, you know, Bill Gates is the type of person that does that, 
Like right. what resources do you have or have you consumed and, 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 and internalized uh, that have helped you yeah. on that path? Are there books or, or podcasts or things? That yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, seminal one for me and, and the book that at age 13 helped me realize that words on a page could actually make me be a better person was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, I, I, I think of the world and I think of skills and learning. Like, like I said earlier, I think all learning has value. doesn't matter what you're learning about. Like go learn about the different types of seashells on the beach. Like there's value in that and, and enrichment. But I do believe in something that I call exponential skills, which are skills that give you a disproportionate amount of return on your investment. So one of those skills is writing. I, I highly recommend um, people check out uh, an author, I think it's called On Writing Well uh, is the name of the book. Really, really great. Um, there's a lot of books out there on writing. I was very blessed to have really phenomenal writing teachers, so I haven't read a lot on writing. Uh, I have read a lot on copywriting. Uh, but in addition to that, I think there are other exponential skills like creativity, for example. Like you said, uh, emotional resilience that you're working with your kids on, super important skill. And uh, on top of all of that, I think if you want to achieve anything significant in your life, you're going to need other people. And so people skills, collaboration, cooperation, management, these are like what I've devoted the last 10 years of my life to really improving on. Um, and so Dale Carnegie, I, I would say that's like, that's the starting piece, right? And then from there, figure out where you want to go. Do you want to manage people? If so, you need to read a whole different set of books. Do you want to build systems and businesses? different set of books. So that's a huge one for me. Uh, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth got me out of the cycle of suffering and, and, and blaming the entire world for all the pain that I had experienced. Um, what else? On relationships, I've got a lot of them. Uh, Attached was a really interesting book for me. Uh, Calling in the One, really important book for, for not just actually calling in with law of attraction, the person that you are meant to be with, but also being ready for that person and being the kind of person that is actually going to be able to receive that. Um, lying by Sam Harris. Yeah, please. As you're recalling these books, are you using, are you recalling the code or a picture of a purple turtle? Yeah. yeah so I've got pictures of the books and then I've also as I'm thinking through particular memories of that book, I have visualizations. So for example, when I talked about Dale Carnegie, I have a visualization of my uncle Ernie who gave me my first copy of that book. Uh, when I mentioned Sam Harris's lying, I have a picture of the cover right there. Eckhart Tolle, I had a couple different visualizations. I have the book cover obviously memorized. And then I have uh, different memories which are not actually connected to the book. Like I saw Eckhart Tolle live. So I've got all kinds of different images that come to me. Um, calling in the one, I, I visualized my wife because I don't think she'd be around if it weren't for that book. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are always visualizations and associations. Uh, I think mostly in pictures now. So Got it. I was curious because you do this thing and I'm sure you know that you do it, but you kind of look down and to the left uh, as mm -hmm. you're going into that memory bank. It's like, okay, what's he digging up? Okay, he's looking at And I'm yeah. just curious, you know? <laughs> Yeah, down into to the, the right. left, and I also look to the yeah, it's to the right for me because I have uh, like blank space here between the monitor and the thing. But uh, 
I once read, I don't know if this is true, that people look up when they're lying and down when they're recalling from memory. Uh-huh. Something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, before, we, before we do the last question and, and take this episode uh, home, um, what's next for you? What, what, what are you working on? What are you learning now? Yeah. Like what's, what's got you on fire? Yeah. So this week it's like really intense right now. This week we're launching that course on digital declutter, uh, which we're launching to all of our members who are in our superhuman squad subscription program. And then over the next like six months, I'm just creating more and more courses. We're doing courses with Ariel Garten from Muse, Benjamin Hardy, T major, uh, and a bunch of other people I'm not yet at liberty to talk about. Uh, we're launching a coaching program in August so that when my book comes out in September, we want to have certified coaches ready to help people actually take advantage of the stuff. Even if they just pick up a you know $5 copy of the book on Amazon, we want coaches ready to guide them through the material and make sure that they're getting the most out of it. Um, and that should be it for the rest of the year. I'm going to take three weeks off, go on a honeymoon, and, uh, and then reevaluate and see where we are from there. The, the level of clarity and unsurprisingly, but the level of clarity and the, 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 the only a couple of things, like I know that within those couple of things, there are many things that you're working on, but there's six months left in the year and you've basically narrowed it down to like three different areas that you're focused on. Right. And that is a, a, a clear indicator that you actually practice what you preach and, and that try to <laughs> yeah right right that clarity of of decisiveness and action i think is indicative of someone who's had success and and is clear on what they want to do and i i just think it's i think people should like be aware of the fact that you only listed a couple of things for the whole rest of the year i think that's great thank you i appreciate that i uh, i have really good coaches and and really good people around me who like keep me focused cuz i have that entrepreneurial brain and i could i could go after 20 things for the rest of the year um but one of the things that we're working on with with strategic coach which i'm a member of and just with my team and transitioning me out of a lot of the day-to-day pieces of the business is really lining up the dominoes as far ahead in advance as we possibly can and just focusing on doing the right things well it's not easy. No, my <laughs> friend, it is not. It's something that I struggle with frequently, you know, keeping the keeping the main things the main things. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, cool. So um I ask everybody this fill in the blank at the end of every episode. So if you would please, Jonathan, fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing how to learn. How to learn. Awesome. Yeah. Jonathan Levy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. It's been my pleasure, man. You're a phenomenal interviewer. Thanks for having me.